following podcast may contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Binge Movies, episode 109. I'm Jason. This is the show that ranks and eliminates movies to determine which ones are worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. On this episode, we rank oddball movies of the 1990s. I am joined by, would you be offended if I called you an oddball, sir? Go for it. Go for it. I am joined by the oddball of film Twitter, David Rosen, a contrarian, a uh, eccentric <laughs> of sorts, mm-hmm. a musician, mm-hmm. an artiste, a podcaster. How many different podcasts do you have uh, at any given moment? At any given moment, I would have to go with a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like all you do is podcasting. So it feels that way fa- sometimes. Yeah, the fact that we could even get you to come on here feels like a privilege, sir. So I'm I'm, I'm grateful to have you back. Of course, you're you're I don't I don't even I don't want to say most known, but I know you mostly from piecing it together. Uh, is that your, would you consider that your bread and butter main podcast or is that your loss leader? Yeah, no, that, that's my main podcast. That's the one where I'm the host, I'm the producer, I'm the editor, I'm the, it, it all comes back to me on that one. So, yeah. And that's the primary Twitter account you operate from, right? So. Absolutely. Yeah. My other Twitter's all just, they're all decomposing somewhere in the uh, corners of that <laughs> horrible, horrible app. <laughs> If you want to know what's going on with David's parents, especially his dad, his dad's spicy hot takes about 40-year-old movies that he's just seen for the first time, Mm -hmm. that's the place. If you want to know just the random thoughts that go on through David's head, uh, which it's worth the price of admission, which is free. All you have to do is hit follow because uh, he's very clever in, uh, and very funny in how he uh, tweets about mundanity. So mm. uh, he's got a wry sense of humor, and we're grateful to have him here. So welcome back to the show, David Rosen. Thanks so much for having me again. And of course, I to have you on the show, I had to have you on an episode where you talked, sort of rifled through the junk drawer of yesteryear. Mm. Yeah, that, you can <laughs> say that again. <laughs> this is a hodgepodge collection of movies uh, that have some striking similarities, but that that are not necessarily overtly obvious. If you just look at the list, you're like, what the fuck are these movies? Why are these even on here? But I, I'm a firm believer. I've said this a couple episodes ago. I went on a diatribe on Twitter, as I'm prone to do, that when you're talking about the canon of film, which is ultimately what the vault is, right? We're establishing a listener-based, a binge lord-based canon of films and we're watching hundreds of movies to narrow it down to a handful to put into a place of preservation in in i'm a firm believer that exploitation movies b movies genre movies deserve as much consideration as part of the canon because 
they are a part of cinema culture and they are movies that people watch and love. So just because it's not, uh, you know, your top tier Nolan or your top tier Hitchcock or your top tier uh, 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 Kubrick or even Spielberg, and, and, and just because it's not an MCU movie doesn't mean that these movies of yesteryear don't potentially have value. Whether the movies we are looking at today have any value, that's what you and I are here to determine. And in fact, we're going to do something only for the second time in the history of the podcast. We're going to do something we like to call a price check challenge. Mm. Uh, of course, we're here in the sunny, tropical Akron, Ohio video store that is binge movies there's a podcast and there is a video store and so uh you know as i'm rifling through these movies and watching them i gotta figure out how the fuck do i price these things to be sold because after a certain point they've been rented we just got to get them out of the store and make room for top gun maverick and all the other inventory we're trying to push through here as fast as we can so you have a uh, a legendary family in the uh, sort of record shop owner business. <laughs> sure. Yep. Yep. And so I figured you'd be the perfect guy to help me price some of this inventory for these five films. So rather than giving a score or a star uh, out of 10, which we typically do that as our rating, we're going to give a dollar amount. We're going to assign a dollar value, uh, including decimals, including change, on any of these films, and at the end, we'll we'll when we do our recap, we'll look at the totals and we'll see uh, really overall uh, what you would pay for these five movies and what I would pay for these five movies. Sure, so, absolutely. I, I I know you're on board. Uh, I I think it all makes sense. I uh, truly believe that uh, genre films deserve a place in the conversation. So let's start that conversation now because every single one of these oddball movies is some kind of a genre movie, whether they know it or not, <laughs> whether they know what genre they're in or sure. not. <laughs> let's start with 1990s, The First Power, which currently has a woo 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. Since the beginning of time, Satan has worked to create the perfect killer. One who kills many without reason. One who cannot be stopped. Today, that man exists. Be warned. <laughs> the first power. Lou Diamond Phillips. Rated R. Start Friday, April 6th. So this movie uh, I had never heard of before. I like the idea of it. I like what it seems to be going for, but I wrote in my notes twice, this movie sucks. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> this movie is so bad, man. <laughs> I, I lost my headphones. All right. All right. Or, a, a point of order here. I got I to gotta start from the top. Hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. This film was uh, written and written and directed, which usually goes really well or really bad. This film was written and directed by the same guy, Robert Reznikoff. Uh, it is the triumphant return of Michael T. Williamson, last seen in Forrest Gump. Uh, it was released April 6, 1990, on an estimated budget of $10 million. It only made $22.5 million. And my synopsis is, a grizzled detective is driven to the brink by an otherworldly killer. The... <sighs> This guy, okay, for context, the writer and director of this, 
was at least the director of the Pat Morita, Jay Leno, <laughs> Buddy Cop, Kung Fu movie, oh, Collision boy. Course. <laughs> I didn't realize that <laughs> until afterwards. This is a movie that I I it, I saw trailers for this movie on some VHS copy of something I had growing up. And it was a trailer mm. of the bag lady who becomes possessed at some point. Uh, and it looked very creepy. I, the trailer, I think, is actually a pretty decent trailer. Um, I was, uh, let's just say, sorely disappointed when none of the creepy or fun or interesting things you could do with this concept, which is essentially Fallen before Fallen, if you remember that Denzel sure. Washington movie. Absolutely. It's, you know, nearly 10 years before Fallen, here we are. And th they do nothing with this premise. What is the premise of this movie? For those that don't know Fallen and sure as fuck don't know the first power. Yeah, I mean, it, we're, we're talking about basically like a detective story, but where there's a demon involved yeah. or, the, or a devil or a demon or something like that. And it, it is a fun kind of playground to set this kind of a movie in, in the world of demons and, and all that stuff. I just and and I wondered while I was watching this why we don't get this that much anymore. Why have demons and devils kind of left the world of action movies and thrillers? I mean, did you think about that? While I watching did. This? It, this seemed to me to be like a carryover from the '80s mentality of studios, which was all about matching high concept and low concept movies, right? So let's let's take sure. a, a a cop movie, right? Just a, your standard cop movie that would have been made '50s, '60s, '70s. Let's bootstrap some kind of high concept to it, right? It's a cop movie, but uh, one of the cops is a buddy cop movie. One of them's an alien. It's a you know, it's sure. it's a uh, cop who's hunting a serial killer, which is you know enough for a movie. But the serial killer is either demon possessed or gains demonic powers, and even after their death, can kind of transfer their consciousness into other people's bodies. And it's a possession serial killer cop movie, action movie. I think by the yes. mid nineties, they're not doing high concept stuff anymore, pretty much at all. And anything now that we have, and I hate to constantly come back to this, but I think you have to anything that's remotely high concept. It just gets absorbed into the larger subgenre of superhero films. Right. Right. Yeah. What, what if we did a martial arts movie, but suck it into the whole Marvel ecosystem and that's what it is. Yeah. I think it's more likely that we'll see a demon possession plotline in a Marvel movie at some point than we will just like a demon possession movie with a random actor. I have to say this movie, The First Power, drops you straight into the action. And usually it's a pretty good thing. But in this case, I found it very disorienting because I'm like, wait, who are these people? What's happening? Mm. What's going on? Cut to Lou Diamond Phillips, who may be the first or second most miscast person on this particular mm. episode. He's supposed to be this grizzled detective who's living on the edge and, you know, smoking chain smoke cigarettes and drinks nothing but coffee. And, you know, doesn't eat a solid meal for weeks because he's just up, you know, pushing the envelope. and He's getting yelled at by his sergeant. All the tropes are here, except for Lou Diamond Phillips may be one of the most softly featured, yeah. beautiful men who's ever yeah. lived. <laughs> he's so clean and he's so pretty. And then on top of that, he's supposed to be this hard ass. I've never seen someone more effeminately smoke <laughs> yeah. cigarettes. Lou Diamond Phillips had never smoked a cigarette in his life. 
it is the most unnatural thing. He is smoking a cigarette like a Hollywood starlet from the 30s. <laughs> it, I'm like, what is this? Yeah. He, <laughs> Nothing against effeminate sure. features, but it doesn't go with his character. Yeah, he is just the wrong choice here. You're absolutely right. And he just has no charisma in this particular kind of role it's just it doesn't work for him and and what he brings to it he screams at the killer he says you son of a bitch you motherfucker <laughs> and if you think i'm joking it's in that exact pitch he's supposed to be like you know like we've seen this movie right like, like we've seen the I mean, imagine, you know, Clint Eastwood, who basically created, through Dirty Harry, this entire fucking sure. genre, right? The Dirty Harry movies were the template for everything, Pat, beyond that, when it came to cops, including Lethal Weapon. They were like, what if there's two of them? Right. <laughs> and that was the yeah. innovation, right? You know, what if a straight-laced cop had to beat Dirty Harry's partner, which was a running gag in the Dirty Harry movies, was that his partners always yeah. got killed, you know? They're trying to do that here, but there's no intimidation factor because every time Lou Diamond Phillips has to yell or scream or do anything or smoke, it's just feminine. It is just a deeply feminine, yeah. <laughs> which is fine if that factored into his character, but that's the opposite of what he's supposed right, to right. be. He's supposed to be the epitome of machismo and you know, just being, you know, uh, uh, down on his luck, like, all I have is the job, man. All I have is this fucking job. You know, just like David, no matter what material they gave him in this movie, Lou Diamond Phillips could not do it. There's not a beat of this movie that works. None of the jokes land. None of it works. And there's somebody else who I don't think is that great of an actor who is given similar material and, and on this episode knocks it out of the fucking park as sure, far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And I think you know where I'm going yeah. with that one. And it's like, the, the it's just night and fucking yeah. day. It, this movie is It's terrible. really, really bad, man. <laughs> really bad. There, there's, a li there's a line in it where uh, they're drinking some kind of alcohol. I don't remember what it was. And the guy says, this stuff's so watered down, it tastes like a goddamn Perrier. And I think that's about the movie itself. That that's the whole thing, you know. The, the, the thing is, like, okay, to do a movie like this, you, if it's not going to be good, if it's not going to be like a B movie gem, right? That you can enjoy. It's like, yeah, it's not good, but it's good on its own terms. Which I think some of the other movies this week are. This is not mm -hmm. one of them. Then you at least want it to be batshit. Yeah. You at least want it to be, and instead. There's a couple of moments in here that are batshit crazy, but the rest of it is just so goddamn yeah. boring. Nothing happens for long stretches of this movie. We're just watching Lou Diamond Phillips whine and abuse his cat. For whatever <laughs> reason, this guy fucking hates his cat. And it's like, is that a plot point? Why are we watching this guy scream at his cat and throw the cat across the room multiple they times? They thought it would help edge You're him up a little. Your cat lover, explain yeah, this to me. He's, he's just, he's got nothing. <laughs> uh, you know, just, just to give this movie like one little positive, you know, um, th there was a bad guy who had like a fan weapon. That was fun. Yeah. Yes, yes. That's a batshit yes, crazy exactly. moment. He rips a ceiling fan out. There are no cords attached to it <laughs> yeah, somehow, sure. yet it's still operating. Yeah. <laughs> and he's going to kill them with a fan. They have to jump yeah. out a window. More of yes. that. More of that. Uh, this is the only movie I've ever seen that had a 
horse-drawn carriage hit-and-run murder. <laughs> Michael T. Williams, a.k.a. Ollie, gets run over by a horse and buggy during a Mexican fiesta. Damn, was Michael T. Williams in this? I don't even remember that. That's amazing. Yeah, he's his, he's the partner. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, duh. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like I've never seen a horse-drawn carriage commit murder before in a during a fiesta during a, a, a Dia de los Muertos yeah. festival or wherever the fuck it was supposed to be. I thought that was wonderful. It leads to one of the most boring car chases I've ever seen on film. <laughs> but that was a, a great moment. There's great schlock. The the schlock uh, when the guy they're chasing the the fan guys chasing him. There's the guy sleeping on his bed. And they just push his bed in front of the door to block for so the fan guy can't get him. And the guy stays asleep the whole time. Uh, that is something like straight out of a Looney Tunes Bizarre. movie or a cartoon. Like it's like a Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how is this guy sleeping through this? That's great. The bag lady. Everything with that possessed yeah. bag lady. Of her spinning up towards the window, shattering through the window. Uh, trying to crash the car, that actress just having the time of her life, chewing up the scenery. It should have been more of that because moments of that bag lady were actually kind of mm. disturbing. But even beyond that, it was just fun and funny yeah, schlock to watch. Yeah, at least fun for a little bit, yeah. And and there's that comes so late into the movie, it lasts so briefly, and then the the conclusion to this is so boring and worthless that it is it's staggering. This is a truly terrible Awful. film. The, 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 this at the very least this should have been fun and other than the few bright moments I had no fun with it whatsoever. How yeah, about yourself? No, I that that bag lady, the fan, that's it. Done. There's nothing else nothing else good here, <laughs> you know. No. <laughs> No, it, it's a shame. I, I, it, it's, uh, it's a shame. This is this is a missed B movie opportunity yeah. right here. And and honestly, I think whoever wrote Fallen saw this movie and was like, I could remake yeah. this, make it much more interesting, and no one will know because no one has ever seen the first. Power. Yeah, I'd say that's the other like good legacy of this is that it put fallen back on my watch list to rewatch for the first time in 20 plus years because i got to go check that out it's been since opening weekend is the last time i watched it so i got to watch that soon i don't think fallen's a mm. great movie but if you were to watch it after seeing this you'd be like this is a hundred times better than what yeah. i just sat through and it's the same movie it's almost beat for beat the same movie in certain instances but it's like it's just not competently made it's just everything about it is yeah. Pretty shit. So uh, I think you know it's going to be my last of the week. It is number five. It is definitively for me the worst of the week. If I had to price this thing to sell it just to get it the fuck out of the store, I'd price it as a, at a dollar. This is a dollar buy. Come and get it. It's a dollar. In fact, I legitimately right now, I have a copy of it on DVD unopened because I, I ended up finding the, the YouTube for this. And I will, the first binge lord, who hits us up on Twitter, I'll mail you a unopened <laughs> DVD copy Lucky of The you. First Power. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'll mail it to you at my own cost. I just got to get I, the I'll fuck out of the I'll also go with a dollar. Um, also my last place for the week. Uh, just terrible movie. Uh, absolutely terrible. Okay, moving on to a movie. I got my fingers crossed. Uh, I got my fingers crossed because I think this might be a Rose and Sweet mm -hmm. spot right here. 
I'm, I'm hoping it's true. I've been wanting to cover this movie for years. It has been on many, many a list for episodes, but has always been pushed off for something else. It is 1990s Dolph Lundgren starring I Come in Peace, a.k.a. Dark Angel, which currently only has a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. Houston, Texas. It's Christmas. Someone special is coming to town. And it's not Santa Claus. I come in peace. Jack Kane, a cop who does things his own way. What are you doing? Shortcut. He's sensitive. Understanding. And kind to strangers. Merry Christmas. But all that's about to end. I come in peace. Three well-armed men have their throats cut before they can even draw their weapons. Who could possibly move that fast? Aliens. Hey, what? Are you crazy? It's true. You need a psychiatrist, Jack. Your psycho stole a lot of heroin to kill people with. What are you going to do? Tell them we're, we're fighting drug dealers from outer space? Huh? <laughs> I Come in Peace was directed by Craig R. Baxley. It was written by Jonathan Titer and David Kep from Jurassic Park and many other movie of fame. It is the triumphant return of Dolph Lundgren, last seen in the Rocky series, obviously. It also stars as the good alien, Jay Billis of ESPN College Game Day fame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was released September 28th, 1990, on a budget of anywhere between 5 to $7 million. It regrettably only made between $4.35 and $4.37 million. A grizzled detective is driven to the brink by an otherworldly killer and drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the distinction between sure, these two yeah. movies. Uh, we all know the debate. Okay. It's, it's been done to death. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? May I submit to you a new Christmas action movie? I come Hell in yeah. peace. This is definitively a Christmas movie. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it deserves to be uh, celebrated as such. This is an undervalued Christmas film. And I'm now adding it, and I invite all of our binge lords, please add this to your holiday calendar this holiday season. How would you describe this for people who've never heard of it? Because I'm guessing that's yeah, quite and, a bit of our audience. Me too. Uh, I hadn't heard of it until I just watched it for this. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's like kind of one of these gristled buddy cop type things, but with a space alien involved and uh, the space alien is humanoid in, in style and a total kind of badass and it's just super over the top action. I mean, everything in this movie is dialed up to 11. It is so much fun. It's ridiculous. It's filled with like all of the kind of uh, one-liners and things that you associate with like 80s type, you know, movies, action movies. Uh, but how I'd never heard of this, I have no idea because it, it really should be one of those classics everyone talks about. 
this is the one movie where I was like, I have to have David Rosen Hell on yeah. this episode because this is your sweet yeah. spot. This has all of the tropes. This has got the screaming captain. God damn it! You're, you're doing so much collateral damage. I feel like somebody stuck a big club up my ass, and it hurts. I've got to figure out a way to get it out of there. God damn it! Get the hell out of my office! Get out of here! I don't want to see your face. City Hall's <laughs> up my ass about all of your. You're blowing people up, and it's got all of that. You son of a bitch! Come back here, you motherfucker! It's got the overworked detective whose name mm -hmm. is Jack. They're always totally. Jack. It's got FBI interference. You can never trust a fucking nope. FBI. It's got the new partner slash odd couple thing going on of like, will they get along? It's got the ro romantic subplot angle with the woman who works somewhere in the department and will they, won't they? And will it ever be a serious relationship? And at the same time, it has all those things. And yet, it's kind of fresh in how it's playing with all of those tropes. Nothing ingenious, just slightly a little bit more self-aware, just yeah. slightly. And on top of that, this movie has the most explosions. So many explosions. <laughs> and they're so well yeah. done. That's the other thing, is this is an action movie that they put the money. This thing's got a budget of five to seven million dollars, right? This is not a big budget movie at all. This is less than the Nightmare on Elm Street movies mm -hmm. in budget, right? Every single dollar is yeah. on the screen. This movie looks good. This movie was shot well. This movie has a decent synthy kind of Carpenter-esque yeah, score. Hammer. This, yeah, this movie has an am amazing pyrotechnics and the people who did the stunt coordination and the car chases and it's top level. It, this, they really put the money into yeah. the action. And unlike the first power, which has none of those sure. things, yeah. <laughs> this movie is, it's pretty damn slick for being a low budget movie about an alien drug dealer who comes to earth, pumps people full of heroin. <laughs> yep. Then takes the endure, takes a spike, shoves it into their brain, and draws out all of their endorphins to sell human endorphins to aliens on his homeworld as their version mm -hmm. of heroin. That's the plot. Bitch, are you for real? Insane, completely insane. Love it. I think Dolph Lundgren is more than game. I don't think he's the world's best actor. I think he's pretty great in this. Yeah, he's he's having fun with it. He. He's such an interesting like screen presence that shouldn't fit in a cop type of role, but he he makes it work here. He really does. And I think part of it is the brilliant casting of this guy that they've got as the alien because he's somehow bigger than Dolph Lundgren. I mean, he he's a huge presence. And the best way to describe it is it's like Lethal Weapon plus the first Terminator plus Predator plus Cocaine. Like, it's yeah. all of those things, <laughs> plus somebody was like, I like these movies. They did a rail of coke, and we're like, oh, what should I make it about? Drugs! And then they made, <laughs> they, made, they, made, they mashed those movies together and did them all kind of competently well. Like, the, the costuming looks good. Like, like, this is a B movie, but it's a B movie that looks like an A-class movie from production perspective. It's got the rain. It's got the water-soaked 
uh, streets. It's got mm-hmm. the the all, neon out the wazoo. It's like the last the factory ri- at the end, yeah. like Terminator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it culminates in a factory, as all movies of this era did. Uh, mm-hmm. Like now, everything culminates on a rooftop somewhere. Back in the sure. day, everything was in a factory. And the guy that they got as the villain is this huge, weird, European-looking guy that they didn't even need to add makeup to him. He was just a weird, <laughs> scary-looking guy. Give him a yeah. couple of contacts, have him whisper, I come in peace, right Amazing. before he brutally murders somebody with pretty effective gore. I just love the implication of that line, too. Like, the idea that before they came to uh, to Earth to, like, steal everybody's essence or whatever the hell it is, or endorphins, what is it? Yeah. But uh, they, they, like, trained him, like, like say I come in peace, it'll make people, you know, trust you a little more or something. Like, so I that, just yeah, love so the idea get close enough to murder them. Yeah, just this one <laughs> sentence where you don't even know what's coming out of your mouth. It's just a sentence of Earth talk, you know? And, yeah. like, just throw that out there. I love that. Yeah, it's like something you would say to like an animal before you put a bolt in its brain or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, honestly, it's so great. This is the one time, it was originally, I think, called Dark Angel. And then the studio was like, they were like, no, 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 you got to call it I Come in Peace. And they changed the title. And that's the one of the times where I'm like, the studio was fucking right. Dark Angel means nothing. Terrible title. I Come in Peace is fucking perfect because that's all that guy says the other alien the good alien uh who's like the kyle reese alien kind of talks you know he talks broken english or whatever the jay billis alien but the scary european alien that's all he says and he and he doesn't say it too often either but when he does speak a couple times in the movies that's what he says and then he brutally murders somebody and (laughs) and it's so (laughs) effective and, and like, you would think I'm like, well, I'm enjoying this movie kind of on a cornball level. And to a certain extent I am, but I, honestly, I more so, I blew this up on the big screen. I watched it. I had so much fun watching it because what it, what it convinced me of is that yesterday's cliches can feel fresh and new with a little bit of distance because we have mm. all new sets of modern cliches and movies that are very different than this. We talked about the one where it's like, we fight on the roof, the blue laser beam in the sky. Uh, Mm -hmm. Everything has to happen in space now. Like, it's all to save the planet, save the universe. This is a Christmas cop movie about drug-dealing aliens who come to Houston, Texas. (laughs) And his main weapon is a projectile magnetized CD, which he can program to the magnetic field of human bodies and it's a cool fucking weapon. Some of the some of the shots and the effects of it were really I was gonna well say done. that really impressive work there. And and uh, I I mean I have to assume at the time it's all practical. Like I have no idea how they're doing that. Like it, you watch the movie and you're like, wow, how are they doing this? How are they doing it on a four million dollar budget when they have yeah. When when three million of it's going into just literally blowing up parts of Houston, Texas. Sure, <laughs> they were just closing down streets and blowing the fuck out of whatever was there. I, I like I I don't want to overhype the movie and oversell it. What I'm saying is, if you haven't seen this movie and you like this kind of genre, this is actually a very well produced film on that level. Mm-hmm. If you can get in on the stu- kind of stupidity or the batshit crazy idea of the premise. If you can go along with it, it's so much fun. It's so enjoyable. Uh, Shout Factory recently did a remastered Blu-ray of it a couple years ago. That's what I have here. 
and I just I thought it was worth every penny. I I I I enjoyed this movie from beginning to end. Uh, do all the plot threads come together at the end? Not necessarily. Does the romance sure. have any particular payoff? Not really. <laughs> but you know what I love? I love that Dolph Lundgren's Jack character wasn't mean to his cat. I love when we see his apartment. He's not living in a shithole. He drives a shithole car, but he lives in a really nice apartment, and he's like a connoisseur of fine wines, which feels... Oh, cl- his apartment rules. <laughs> which feels so much closer to the real Dolph Lundgren. Mm-hmm. And this is a cop who only ever wears the same outfit through the entire movie, who has an absolute <laughs> shitbox car, but just has like the 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 coolest 1990s <laughs> apartment ever. Hilarious. Massive flat uh, with just like neon lights and jukeboxes and a pool table and a white leather couch and a, a full like bar of expensive wine. And he listens to classical music. He's a man of art and culture, which oh, Dolph yeah. is in real life. I, I love that. I thought that was funny. I thought it was, it paid off. Uh, I thought some of the effects with, uh, with, uh, some of the death and some of the, uh, goo and melting, mm-hmm. I thought those were well done. I just think it's, I, I would go so far as I think it's a good B movie. It rules. What about you left out the, uh, the tweaked out scientist guy, Bruce. Hilarious. Um, so funny. <laughs> so freaking funny. And, and like trying to be funny and actually funny. Right, right, yeah. And it's not th- just bad; it's actually funny. Yeah, and the three of those guys had chemistry together. Good yeah. comedic timing, and it's like th- I hate. Like other than I guess Creed too, this may be Dolph Lundgren's best role I've ever <laughs> might be I've ever seen him in. Where it's like he's almost an actor here. Like he's yeah. almost good. Like I would say he's good, not great, but he's almost. An, an actual actor. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I, I would. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. As the alien is dying, the bad alien, pretty brutally, by the way. Dolph Lundgren ends up just brutally oh, murdering yeah. this alien and slowly murdering mm-hmm. him. As he's just like all gooed up and falling apart and dying, he one more time says, "I come in peace," and Dolph Lundgren aims his gun. And what does he say, Mr. Rosen? You leave in pieces. <laughs> <laughs> and you leave in pieces. And then blows him up. Explodes him all over It's the incredible. Screen. It is <laughs> incredible. It reminds me of, of like a fake scene on like The Critic or something like that. You know, like you couldn't, you can't believe yes. it's real. You can't believe you just watched this. <laughs> um, but it's, it's very much yeah. real and it works. It absolutely works. <laughs> It feels like that's exactly right. Or it feels like one of the Arnold parody yeah. movies from Last yeah, Action yeah. Bureau. Right? Like the Macbeth <laughs> action parody. That's what it feels like. But the thing is, it does, it plays. So I'm going to give this $7.50 worth of value. And it's my number one of the week. I'm adding it to the short list to be preserved for all time. <laughs> I come in peace. Wow. <laughs> And that's funny because I'm going with $8, okay? Wow. Okay. But it's not my number one of the week. Oh! Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. I keep going back and forth between my number two and number three. I think I'm going to put this at number two. Okay. So 
uh, yeah, t- number two and number three are practically ties, so it's it's going to be difficult for me. But yeah, this is, I'm gonna I'm gonna draw a line in the sand right now. This is my number two. I I thought there was a really good chance, knowing you and having done you know eight hours of talking about shitty movies with you, that this was going to yes. end up towards the top. I thought this could have been your number one. Was it ever a consideration for the number one spot? Absolutely, my my top three. I love them. I love all three of them, and. Uh, a little bit of nostalgia plays into my number one pick. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. But um, yeah, I, I love this. This was a great discovery for me. I'll be watching this again one of these days, and I think I'm only going to love it more next time. Will you be watching this holiday season is the question. Probably. Okay, great. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to another movie that was like, this has got to be a David Rosen episode. I'm talking about 1993's Freaked. which currently has a 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ricky Coogan, Brat Pack Sleazebag. (laughs) Elijah C. Skuggs, Freak Show Tycoon, an amateur bioengineer. I can look at a guy like Kevin Costner and see a giant peach grub. When fate brought them together, Mr. Skuggs took an average Hollywood (laughs) slime ball and made something out of him. (laughs) Oh, God! This was my good side! 20th Century Fox presents Freaked. It's about friendship. I thought I told him to shut up! Loyalty. I say we kill him! Life's big questions. How many feminists does it take to screw in a light bulb? Oh, show business. The public does not want to see disgusting, depraved, violent filth. And I suppose Jake and the fat man was just a fluke. It's about state-of-the-art technology. It's about Mr. T's the bearded lady. I am woman. Now like me. It's about Bobcat Goldthwait as a sock. It's the end of the world! The apocalypse! Ah! It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. <laughs> and it'll make a cold sore that you thought had healed up start bugging you again. It's the kind of film Brooke Shields has always wanted to do. Oh. Introducing Larry Bud Melman as the President of the United States. What's the matter? Trade of a little rock star. In Freaked, coming soon to a theater. Freaked, but ugly, but funny. Welcome to show business, morons! Freaked was directed by Alex Winter and Tom Stern. It was written by Tim Burns, Tom Stern, and Alex Winter. It is the triumphant return of Randy Quaid, last seen in Independence Day. It's the triumphant return of William Sadler, last seen in Iron Man 3. It's the triumphant return of Mr. T, last seen in Rocky 3. It's the triumphant return of Keanu Reeves as Tito the Dog Boy, last seen in The Matrix. And it was released October 1st, 1993, on a budget of $12 million. It actually made $29,000 (laughs) (laughs) because it was very swiftly pulled from theaters. It was only shown in like three cities, and they pulled it after like the first week. So it made less than 30 grand. Amazing. A selfish celebrity, his misogynistic pal, and a cartoon feminist go to a Randy Quaid freak show and are turned into horrible 90s MTV music video monsters. If this remained after 2000, it would be an Adult Swim cartoon. This is a cartoon. Through and through, it has adult, alternative, 
cartoon sensibilities all the way through it. It it, it, it is this is a green jelly yes, music video. 100%. <laughs> Extended for 90 minutes. Like this is I don't think I think if you were born after 1997, maybe 1995, I don't know if this would resonate with you at all. This is of the same ilk as early Beavis and Butthead, not to show the interstitial shorts. This is this is a uh, so of its time. Do you think this has any value for anybody under the age of 37 <laughs> years old? It's really hard to say because that's the thing like Yes, it's of a specific time, but kids now watch some really strange shit. So I, it really makes me wonder, maybe they would dig this. Like, because a lot of their stuff is so just uh, slapdash and out there and weird. And like some of it, like even I find myself like having trouble following whenever I try to watch any of it. And so maybe they would be into just how insane this movie is, which, by the way, I had never seen until this. Uh, it was one of those movies that I always kind of knew about and was like, <clears throat> I need to watch it one of these days and never got around to it. So I'm glad I finally did. Well, let's start with you then. What did you think of it on your on your first visit to uh, I loved Freaked? it. I absolutely loved it. I mean, this movie... Now, I, I don't know how you feel uh, with the Bill and Ted <clears throat> movies, which your favorite would be, but uh, I've come to really appreciate Bogus Journey, and this feels like right in line with what uh, Alex Winter was like going for when he went to make Bogus Journey, which is just throw absolutely any and everything at the wall and see what sticks and whatever doesn't stick. Fuck it. Like we're throwing it in there anyway, you know, it's just nonstop, <laughs> just insanity. And, uh, I, I thought it was great. I thought it was inventive. I loved like the creativity of all like the creature effects and all that stuff. And just all kinds of crazy practical effects are so much fun to watch and so fun to just, uh, just, you can't even like, take it all in in one in one sitting like i this is going to require multiple viewings to really catch all the little things in it that must have taken a shitload of work to like put together but Absolutely. Uh, but they yeah. they did it every single little element on the screen is just uh, a masterpiece of like this crazy effects work and yeah i love this movie it's, it's awesome i think what's you know what's interesting is you have like the stewie gluck character and he was one of my favorite mm -hmm. characters in this movie just because to, to have the balls to basically <laughs> abuse and mutilate and to have all of your harshest jokes against a fanboy uh -huh. who's a literal okay. boy Who's just this weird looking <laughs> little boy that they got. And like when he's like trying to, sh he develops a psychic connection <laughs> with the f mutated Alex Winters character. And he's like going to the press to try to be like, he's been horribly mutated. He needs help. We got to rescue him. And he gets thrown out of every newspaper and magazine in the country. But he doesn't just get thrown out of the building, he gets thrown through, glass through the glass every time. door every time. He gets sucked out a airplane. He takes a woman in a wheelchair with him. Rick, it says here Zygrod's Lightboard's dangerous. Why are you lending your name to it, Rick? You used to be good. And now, I just don't know. Don't cry, Stewie. Deep down, I'm still good. 
It is gross. It's vulgar. At the same time, it doesn't some it manages to not feel mean spirited. Yeah, no, it, definitely. It's like a good natured gross out movie. Weirdo, gonzo, freak show, l- metaphorically and literally movie yeah. at the same time feels like everybody who's a part of it is having fun and it doesn't feel m- like like I said, mean-spirited. You know what this movie made me feel? Uh, and I, I don't think anything has made me feel like this like in forever. But you, you remember like back when you were in like high school or maybe even middle school, the kids that were older than you but were into some of the same stuff as you and they just seemed so cool because they were older and had more knowledge yeah. than you. Like that's the kind of the feeling I got watching this. I felt like I was hanging out with those kids and they were just so much more creative and so much cooler and so much more experienced in making weird, cool stuff or even just knowing weird, cool stuff. And I felt like I was hanging out with them again. Like that, that's what this movie made me feel like. That is perfect. That's a perfect quote. Because to me, it was like, uh, and maybe it's just the age bracket I would have been in at this time, but this was like your friend's older brother who was cool, but also accessible. He was excited to share this stuff with you. Yeah. Very clearly, every dollar's on the screen. The practical effects, the, the physical makeups and transformations are pretty impressively done. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, so much. This is one of those things, um, you know, recently I was talking on another podcast about evil dead and just how like Sam Raimi and all of his people that he works with on effects, like they, you could tell how much they care about creating these weird things that came into their mind. And like, we're going to put every penny we can, every ounce, they probably work 16 hour days putting these things together because they wanted to see them come to life. And I feel like you get a lot of that here too, where it's just like these people love this and want to see this be a thing. And so uh, they put every last bit of effort they possibly can into it. I, I thought one of the funniest bits in the whole movie for me, other than the kid, the, the, they call him the troll, which mm-hmm. is more pertinent today than probably ever before. Um, but was they're all telling their backstories all the mutants are telling their sad stories of how they were mutated. Yeah, yeah. And each one kind of has a bit in there, and some of them are humorous, but they get, like, progressively weirder and funnier as they go. Yeah. And the funniest one to me was the hammer. There's just a hammer lying on the ground <laughs> <laughs> that we don't see before or, I think, after. And then it just, like, goes into this, like, dream, this recollection of the hammer which is the hammer was a wrench. (laughs) And Randy Quaid mutated a wrench into a hammer and everybody is weeping at the story. And that was like weird. That was, that reminded me of almost like uh, adventures of Pete and Pete. Like that is just such some oddball, no pun intended, nineties shit. But that was so funny. Um, They're playing in tropes. They're playing in, there's so many meta aspects to what they're doing here. It's a critique of Hollywood. It's a critique of consumerism. Um, it's it, it. There was it reminded me in, in moments, especially like the William Sadler parts, reminded me of Kids in the Hall, Brain mm-hmm. Candy. Like it was. It was just a weird fucking movie that probably only could have been made in 1993. But you're right. 
maybe would be more appreciated in 2021, 2022, 2023. I think you might be right. Maybe. Maybe I'm underestimating the youth of today. Yeah, I'm curious. And I... One thing that I thought of while watching this movie is that I like the fact that even I had never seen it before. Like I had only kind of heard of it in passing. Like it came it came up on our Bill and Ted episode of piecing it together, and I was like, I forgot all about that. That that Alex Winter had this other movie with the same kind of humor, kind of, but maybe a little weirder. And I had just never seen it. It's just one of those movies that I think makes sense to be like a discovery for people for people to like eventually get to at some point and i i just think it's kind of a a fun thing to to exist like that i i agree it was inaccessible for so long like it, yeah. it was buried it was like it, you could not find it. it it has not been released in home video format i think in years uh i think mm-hmm. it has only ever been on dvd maybe very briefly like it was it was it's very, very hard to find, and uh, but somebody, if you're listening to this, you're like, well, then how the hell do I find it and watch it? Uh, YouTube is your friend for a lot of these yeah. movies, actually. I don't normally recommend that, but in this case, it's like, I've heard Alex Winter talk about the fact that it's on YouTube, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think he yeah. knows. I, I just, I don't think he cares. I know that, the, I'm not even sure that the distributor even has the copyright on this anymore. I, it's probably just right. in weird rights limbo. So, yeah, it's one of those weird yeah. ones like that. So for me, this is only going to come in at my number two of the week, but I'm going to give this $7 of value. It's just slightly beneath I Come in Peace. Okay. Uh, I actually have it tied with I Come in Peace at $8. And like I said, I was having a lot of trouble between my two and three. They just keep overtaking one another, but I got to put this one at my number three slot. But uh, I, I loved it. These two movies were both first-time watches for me, and uh, they're both great. I think we're going to be uh, some contrarians here. We're talking about 1995's The Addiction, which currently has a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. From the director of King of New York... And Bad Lieutenant. The shocking new film from Abel Ferrara. Lily Taylor. Christopher Walken. Annabella Sciorra. You want to know what's going to happen? Just wait and see. The Addiction. Coming this fall. The Addiction was directed by Abel Ferreira. It was written by Nicholas St. John. It's the triumphant return of Lily Taylor, last seen in Ransom. It's also the triumphant return of Christopher Walken, last seen in Pulp Fiction. It was released October 4th, 1995 in New York, October 6th, 1995 in Los Angeles. Then it kind of just went to home video. On a budget of not available, it only made $300,000 at the box office. A middle-aged director makes a college student film and tricks 90s critics into thinking it's good. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) One of the reviews at the time for this movie said, this is the most pretentious B-movie ever made. (laughs) You could easily mistake this for a student film. Oh, yeah. The concept of vampirism as IV drug addiction is, I think, a novel approach. I think going into existential postmodern deconstruction of vampire lore has the tendency to be up its own ass. Uh, but I think that's an interesting idea. Unfortunately, this isn't reined in at all. And so this movie goes so far up its own ass, it flips itself inside out. It takes what could be an interesting movie 
and 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 if a thought provoking, haunting, disturbing film, and by and large makes it a slog to get through and an unenjoyable experience on every level, and and to the point of this is the pretentious philosophy undergrad student who's in the student quad trying to impress people with Kierkegaard at how much and 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 having no fucking clue what he's saying or she's saying just regurgitating other people's ideas this movie sucks i didn't hate it as much as you did uh but it's definitely not the great movie that a lot of film people seem to make it out to be i mean i think maybe that's the case with a lot of abel ferrera's stuff but i i enjoyed it for certain elements of it i think lily taylor's great i think christopher walken's uh you know, his cameo basically is great. I think the nineties underground hip hop soundtrack is great and it looks good generally speaking. Um, but the story is it's nothing. It's so completely underdeveloped and half baked. It just, it just absolutely goes nowhere and it's not good overall speaking. It's not good. I think the only person who acts or talks like an actual human being at any point in this movie is Edie Falco. Okay. I think Edie Falco is actually acting like a real person in the real world because they, they want to go for this like documentarian, low budget, mid nineties, cinema verte, black and white, you know, guerrilla style. We're shoot. We want to capture the feel of what it's like to be in New York and the grime and the grid and the music and the da 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 da. da. Okay, but there's not a re- there's no realism to any of the performances except for Edie Falco. So you have these heightened performances. You've got uh, Lily Taylor, who uh, you said it was great. I think she was dreadful in this. Okay. I, I, I think she's delivering lines for books she's never even heard of. The, <laughs> the, the, the dialogue that comes out of her mouth is so fucking clear that this person has no idea what they're talking about. And, and that's not an assault on her. I think it's an assault on the script. I think this, this is a terrible script. I think that's I think this true. Is, it is a bad is, script terrible dialogue i think this movie i think uh uh uh, nicholas st john is so lost in his own sauce of catholic guilt and sin and drug use and 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 you know all this sort of stuff and 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 weird reformed christian theology at one point i think this is the only movie in the history of the world that name checks rc sproul who even most mainline christians wouldn't even know who the fuck he was there's nothing insightful there's nothing there's no depth it's it's faux depth it is a superficial it's it's everybody who goes to college and starts reading actual books for the first time in movie format and it it was awful to get through. Her stripping her clothes off and saying to Jesus, I will not submit. I will not submit. I will not submit is one of the worst performed <laughs> scenes in a movie I have seen. And this isn't a week where I watched right. the first power. <laughs> this movie fucking blows. This, not as much this, as the first power, though. This apparently. sucks. <laughs> yeah. No. No, it doesn't blow as much as the, the first power. But I think the only sequence that's effective at all. I, I, I mean, it's a, the Christopher Walken stuff is like, I guess, great, but it's such a cameo, and you think it's going to be like a turning point in the movie, and there's going to be some kind of plot with he's going to be involved in the actual story. Nope, he's in a, a scene and a half, and then that's it, and then none of that factors into the rest of the fucking mm-hmm. movie at all. It was like I think they could just get him, and they were like, so let's put him in the movie, but it could have been anybody. Who are you? My name is Painter. 
What do you want from me? Now, what do you want from me? You came after me, you took my hand, you tried to force me into some alley. Isn't that how it went? You think you understand things, you know nothing. You understand nothing. I'll show you. And, and not only that, that character didn't even need to be in this movie because his whole, like, I've learned to almost be human again and I, I'm going to teach you and, you know, here, here read, read, read some uh, William S. Burroughs and you'll become human again, <laughs> went nowhere. It went nowhere. It, 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 at that point, you think, okay, this is going to be the plot of this movie. Nope. It's not good. This is terrible. And then you read all of these reviews from the 90s and all of these critics are falling over themselves to suck this guy's dick for this movie. And I don't understand it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't understand it either. And I think it really does come back to the screenplay, which, like you said, it's probably the worst part. It just has nothing to say here. And I found it interesting, like the like the theme of all these movies you had us watch this time around. I mean, I know in you know generally speaking, they're all genre pictures at at some level, but I feel like the the vampire stuff here, like I don't know, it's just so it's all about its philosophy more than anything, and that's what this movie is. It almost doesn't feel like a genre picture, even though it's dealing with vampires. The central metaphor of vampirism is drug addiction. Yeah. But then they seem to not be interested in that at all. Right. And right. then they just pivot to it being about sin, the idea of sin, the idea of evil, like what makes this, it comes down to the R.C. Sproul quote of like, I, I'm not, we're not evil because we sin. We sin because we're evil. Like we're, there's like, we're fundamentally flawed, mm. original sin kind of ideas. But they don't do anything to tie that idea into drug addiction or vampirism. Right. Right. So it seems like they wanted to make a movie. This guy wanted to make a movie about uh, inherent immorality and in the inherent flawed nature of, of the human experience of sin, right? Of, of original sin, of fallenness. And uh, maybe got somewhere in his head this other half-baked idea about, like, what if vampires were drug addicts? Mm -hmm. And then they just, like, sewed it together as loosely as possible. Because the movie is, is like you say, it's so much more interested in its philosophical ideas than it is the central idea of the script. So I don't understand. I don't understand why it was made. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, that's another thing. Like the last movie we just talked about, Freaked, um, that is a movie where you can feel every scene of that movie. You could feel how much they care about the movie that they're making. And this movie yes. does not feel like anybody gives a shit that they're making it. This is a movie that prides itself on its inaccessibility and thinks that if it can just get people to, to spew out this jargon as fast as possible, like a high school college or college debater. Like then that means mm -hmm. it's smart, and and it's just everything wrong with with the intelligentsia. Yeah. It's everything wrong with the academy. It's distilled into this shit movie. It's my number four. I give it three bucks for the rap music. <laughs> I give it uh, for the blood orgy scene and for uh, some of the camera work and black and white and the texture of it I thought was kind of aesthetically pleasing at times. But as far as a script level and as far as an acting level goes outside of Edie Falco, I thought this movie fucking sucked. I'm giving it $4. Uh, and, you know, I, 
I did like some of the performances. I, I didn't think they were as bad as you did, but yeah, the script, there's just nothing, nothing there. And the movie overall, it's just, it's not worth watching really. Uh, I, I, it's terrible. <laughs> it's not, it's not good. <laughs> I feel exasperated by this fucking movie. Um, but yeah, this, this will be my fourth right, place. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Let's move it the yeah. fuck along. To a the maybe the biggest surprise of the week coming from you, David. We're talking about 1996's Peter Jackson's not quite classic, but uh, maybe a cult classic, The Frighteners, which has a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. They say that sometimes when you have a traumatic experience, then it can alter your perception. You can communicate with the other side. You can see spirits. I don't know why. On July 19th, Universal Pictures invites you to experience another side of the other side. The Frighteners Rated R starts Friday, July 19th at theaters everywhere. Frighteners was directed by Peter Jackson, written by Fran Walsh and Peter Jackson. I think Fran Walsh was his partner or is his partner. Uh Yep. I don't know if they're still together or not. It is the triumphant return. I believe so. Of Michael J. Fox, last seen in Back to the Future 3. It's the triumphant return of D. Wallace, last seen in House of the Devil. This was released July 19th, 1996, on a budget of $26 million. This thing only made $29.3 million. A grizzled ghost detective is driven back from the brink by an otherworldly killer and the power of fucking a grieving widow. This is Danny Elfman out the ass, man. As soon as this movie hit, I was like, this to me is conjuring Beetlejuice and Burton, and I want to talk to you about that because I think it does the movie a disservice. Oh, okay. I think this score conjures up, no pun intended, other movies with similar ideas but different tones. And I think ultimately the reason why this movie is just kind of in the middle for me and doesn't really work is because... This was a script they wrote. Zemeckis was going to direct it. He decided against it. They gave it to Peter Jackson, but Zemeckis was still heavily involved. And it feels at parts like a bad Tim Burton movie or a wannabe Tim Burton movie because of the score. Other parts, it feels like Casper, the friendly ghost uh, adaptation. In other parts, it feels like watered down Peter Jackson. I think this movie needed to be more Peter Jackson. I understand in in America, this guy was nobody at this point in time, right? He's coming off of like Dead Alive or Brain Dead or whatever, whatever you want to call it, and a couple other movies. So I get it. He's made he made some weird ass, gory, weird movies. But I think if if you recognize his talent, why not just give him the fucking movie? Let him make the movie he wanted to make. I think this is too. It's not dark enough, but that's at certain instances it's extremely dark and violent and cynical. Other parts it's like almost family friendly i think tonally it's this really weird mishmash of things i don't think it works yeah no i i'm gonna disagree but with the caveat that i know that this movie uh is not exactly loved and i know that i'm kind of uh in in a not a total minority because there are plenty of fans like you said it is kind of a cult classic in a way and there's plenty of other people who who love it like i do uh but i love this movie and you know, recently for various reasons, whether it be for uh, piecing it together or for my various appearances on other podcasts, I've I've rewatched a bunch of, you know, early 80s into the or late 80s into the early 90s type movies. And 
I feel like this movie does a lot of the same things that the ones that are totally revered and beloved does. And I, I don't think it's that much different from a lot of those. And I get the idea of wanting a darker, you know, more Peter Jackson movie. But I think if we got that, it it would definitely be a very different thing. I mean, Dead Alive and uh, Bad Taste and all those things, they're, they're super gory and they're amazing. And I, I probably love those more than The Frighteners, but it wouldn't have that just silliness and goofiness that this movie has. This movie does feel like a family-friendly movie. And yeah, I think I think this movie feels more in line with things like Beetlejuice and Ghostbusters and Back to the Future than it does something like Dead Alive or Bad Taste. Uh, this movie, I feel like all the goofy stuff is really goofy and fun to watch. I feel like the effect stuff holds up and is like genuinely thrilling. I think that the scary parts are actually kind of scary. I, I think that the death character is... Uh, one of the scariest characters like in an adventure type movie, like outside of like a straight up horror movie uh, is so scary in the way that it's it's done. And I think the effects kind of hold up for the most part. Um, I, I think there's even scenes that are dramatic and that, that work emotionally uh, stuff like w with his girlfriend and, and her dead husband and stuff like that. Some of that actually works. I do think the movie tends to fall apart a little bit in the third act. And that's something I've come to realize over the years and in, in recent rewatches. I just rewatched this for awesome movie or uh, last year. That was my first time watching it in maybe 10 years. Um, although I watched it dozens and dozens of times when I was a teenager uh, and yeah, I, I, I see where some of the issues start to come up in this movie. I know it's definitely not perfect, but, uh, I love it. And I just think it's so much fun and there's just so much on Peter Jackson's mind in this movie and it's all done really well. I think I, I could not disagree more because I think the third act is actually when the movie starts to wow, come okay. together. I think there are bright spots throughout, but I think the fr killing him, freezing him, he's a ghost, the whole hospital thing where he's in and out of the past and the vision, I think I think some of that is so mm -hmm. disturbing and sca truly scary, and I think those are effective sequences. I think Dee Wallace is great in this movie. I think the, 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 the funniest part, the creepiest part, the best part of the movie is probably Jeffrey Combs as Milton. I was going to say that's the best part about the third act is that we get more of Jeffrey Combs because he's so great in this. He almost walks away with the entire movie. Yeah. But but that's that is where it's like that feels like Peter Jackson, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah, his other movies like Bad Taste and Dead Alive and whatever. Okay, those are gory movies, but there's humor in the gore, right? Sure. It's it's, it's and they're very much inspired by Sam Raimi. They're yes. very much inspired by Evil Dead, where it's like it's so violent and so over the top in the gore that eventually it becomes almost like slapstick. I'm not saying I need that level of gore. I'm just saying he has those horror inclinations that do exist in this movie. It's not that they're not there at all. They're there. You mentioned it when you talked about death. Yeah. Okay. That's not a funny character, uh, Jake Busey. You know, he that's a menacing character and. And uh, some of the other stuff that they do and the murder of ghosts, which is a kind of an odd concept, but <laughs> fine. <laughs> like, like there's, they're like, they're a, he's a serial killer and the stuff they do with Dee Wallace and how she brutally murders her mother yeah. and they show it on the bed and just like, just the weirdness of the movie. I just wanted more of that. It's not that I didn't want 
to be less goofy. I wanted more of that. Peter Jackson has a unique voice. Especially at this time. He mm-hmm. had a unique voice as far as that horror, comedy, dark, weird. It wasn't Tim Burton. He, had a, he just had his own spin on things. I wanted more of that point of view. I feel like they got it and they zemeckis it. And, and I, I like Robert Zemeckis. But it just it feels like those two worlds don't belong together. And this was originally supposed to be one of the Tales from the Crypt movies. And I just cannot imagine this being like, uh, 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 what was it, Demon Knight, Bordello of Blood, yeah. and The Frighteners. Like I, This movie would not have fit within that. Not at all. This is a bigger movie. This is like, this is... This is like a summer blockbuster, basically, if it had been An attempt Zemeckis. for it, for sure. Yeah. 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 And Zemeckis was going to direct it as a Tales from the Crypt movie. Because he, I think he was a producer of that show. And so it was just, to me, it's like, there's something here. And I don't think they exactly knew production-wise what to do with it. They were like, well, it's too big for... Because they wrote this as a script or whatever, and he wasn't. I don't think Jackson was intending to direct it, and so part of me wonders if he was writing towards somebody else's sensibilities. Because mm. Zemeckis kind of commissioned the script. I think he wrote a Zemeckis movie, but but then he ended up having to Peter Jackson it. Yeah, and I think that ends up with this weird tonal mishmash where it's like, yeah, he wrote it. I don't think he wrote it for himself. I think he wrote it because it feels oddly like a Zemeckis movie. Mm. And yet there's these Peter Jackson undertones uh, and presumably Fran Walsh undertones that are just too fucking weird oh, <laughs> for yeah. the movie that they made. And I like the weird stuff. It's, it's a, it's, I think it just comes down to me for it's not, it doesn't feel fish or foul. And one of the things that was always disorienting for this, that just did not resonate for me at all in this movie is this movie is supposed to take place in the Midwest. Now I'm here in sunny tropical Akron, Ohio. <laughs> Some would argue it's the Midwest. But to me, looking at it, it always looked like the Pacific Northwest. Mm. But even in looking at it this time, I'm like, this architecture just doesn't make any sense. This doesn't look like Portland. This doesn't look like Washington. Well, come to find out, they shot the whole goddamn thing in New Zealand. And if you look at any scene, including the fucking car Michael J. Fox is driving, none of it's American. And so it's like this, like, why are we pretending this is in America? Well, to me, it's just movie land. Like this is a <laughs> this is a movie movie. You know what I mean? Like none yeah, of this feels right. like the real world. You know, and but but you know, an interesting thing about what you're saying about it, the the kind of push pull between this being a Peter Jackson project and it being actually a Robert Zemeckis project. Robert Zemeckis being like as big as you can go as far as Hollywood. Yeah, this is that middle ground for Peter Jackson coming from just weird oddball splatter humor stuff to all yeah. of a sudden getting picked to do the Lord of the Rings trilogy and then a King Kong reboot. Like this is this weird moment in his career. And I, I think mm. it makes sense that he's being pulled between those two worlds. Uh, you know, I don't know if he had any idea what was on the horizon for him with Lord of the Rings and about to make the biggest movies like ever. But, uh, you know, maybe it was in the back of his mind that I'm I'm making this as a stepping stone between what I've been doing to where I want to go, which is big, gigantic movies. That's a good point. That's a good point. And, and I think in that way, that makes sense to me. I, I think in that way, then it's it's almost like a curio because it's like a milestone of, yeah, this guy in a few short years is going to begin production on 
some of the biggest movies ever which made, especially at that time, just yeah. which is insane. And he was successful, right? Whether you like those movies or not, they're very well made. And for the idea that this guy went from bad taste to no, <laughs> I'll, meet, I'll, the meet the Deedles or Feebles or whatever feebles, it was. Yeah, I'll tell yeah. you, I'll never forget. <laughs> I was sitting on an airplane reading a, an, a, an issue of Entertainment Weekly that I had I had picked up at the uh, airport, you know, the Hudson News or whatever, and. I was reading in it that Peter Jackson has just been picked to direct the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Wow. And I, at the time, was a huge, huge Peter Jackson fan. I loved this movie, The Frighteners. I loved Dead Alive. I loved Meet the Feebles, all of them. He was probably my second favorite to Sam Raimi as far as the director's concerned at, you know, age, uh, what would that have been, like 17, 18 or whatever at that point. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, it just blew my mind. I was like, they're going to get Peter Jackson to make movies that are going to be that big? Like, it, my brain exploded. It's very you know? strange, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that, that is probably maybe the best takeaway I have for this movie. Again, I did not hate this movie. Uh, this is a movie I periodically watch just out of my own curiosity. Mm -hmm. It's one of those movies that I watch and I wish I could love. Yeah, I, flaws and all, but there's something about it that keeps me from being able to access it in a way to love it. For me, I think this movie is just nonstop go go go, and so yeah, the tones do tend to like get all over the place. I mean, there's a lot of comedy, there's a lot of slapstick, there's there's a lot of horror, there's a lot of horror comedy mixing the two together. I mean, there's just a lot of things happening at once, and I don't really consider that to be a negative of the movie. Um, the only, the only thing I would have problems with is that it tries to maybe do too much towards the end. Like I was saying, although like, like we discussed, Jeffrey Combs shows up and, and absolutely rules through that last, uh, that last segment of the film. But I do feel like it just kind of goes a little off the rails towards the end. And that's like my, my biggest issue with the movie. I think, yeah, I think, I think that difference in tones isn't really a problem for me and maybe other people who, who love it. I love the ending of this movie up until the point where mm -hmm. he goes to heaven. I mean, that seems tacked on. Yeah. <laughs> that just seems so yeah. tacked on. And is maybe one of the most poorly executed heaven sequences <laughs> of all time. Uh, them going to hell, I don't mind. It doesn't, it doesn't age particularly well, but I, I, like, I like the idea mm -hmm. of it at the very least. Um, but yeah, him going to heaven and clearly not being on the same set as the woman who was his wife yeah, at the same sure. time. <laughs> <laughs> they have no interaction whatsoever. And I'm like, that should be like his, his girlfriend or wife giving him permission to be happy and move on is such a central part of this story. And so for it to feel so tacked on at the end, it feels like, do they just run out of time? <laughs> like, like they couldn't shoot a scene where these two people interact? Yeah. He's like, it's not your time. You got to go back. Be happy. <laughs> and then reverse shot to Michael J. Fox. And he goes, whoa. <laughs> he goes back to Earth. And I'm like, that's it? Right? Like, that's it? Like, that should be the emotional payoff so that he can then fall in love with, uh, with uh, the girl from Fringe, uh, the, the new sure. love of his life. Um, that doesn't happen. Ironically, we do not see her, her husband in heaven. So I think we're to assume he went to hell. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Screw him. Um, uh, I don't know what much much more to say about this other other than <sighs> I had a hard time pricing this one. Mm. Um, 
Because there's that, there's the, the, the head has a disagreement with the heart here. My heart wants to love the movie. My head does not. So, damn. Okay, this one's tough. It's obviously coming as my number three, so that's a dead giveaway. Sure. It's just the price that bothers me. Yeah, it's tough. I'm going to give it, and I'm so sorry, my friend. I'm going to say this is worth six bucks. Okay. For, for a purchase. Mm-hmm. I think if somebody's selling a Blu-ray copy of this for six bucks, pick it up. I think if there's if it's six fifty, you have to start negotiating with yourself. Right. I think if it's I think if it's seven bucks or higher, it's like eh, I don't think it's worth it. So where where is this coming for you? Uh, I've lost the plot. And where <laughs> where uh, where what would you price it at if you had to move it out of the store? So uh, this is my number one for the week. Um, and yeah, I I, yeah. I do have to say though, there's a couple of caveats here that I'll I'll, I'll mention. Uh, number one is I do think that some nostalgia factors in uh, in in that placement here. The fact that I've loved this movie since I was 16 years old. Um, And whereas these other two movies that came in in number two and number three are movies that I'm seeing now for the first time. And I kind of have to see how they age and, you know, if I ever really do rewatch them and how they, how they hold up. That's a good point. So that, that kind of solidifies it's number one, but what I'm going to say first, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to price this at $8, which is exactly what I did for. I come in peace and freaked. Um, Wow. So that, that just goes to show how close these three were. Yeah. And, and I think it, it, it just goes to show that, I loved all three of these movies and <laughs> I could see their rankings really changing over the years. And I, I don't know, maybe I could see Freak Dry Come in Peace being my number one one day, but for now, I, I'm sticking with Frighteners. I, I'm I'm nothing if not uh, you know, I, I stick to my guns when it comes to things that I love. And so I, I gotta stick with it. Okay, makes perfect sense. So you are officially adding the Frighteners to our guest list for uh, a film critic at the end of the season to possibly choose for preservation for all time, yes. even beyond the end times in our vault. And uh, I can't fault you there. You gotta, you gotta represent for the things you love. That's right. I, I don't see the first power moving up any <laughs> closer to the number one spot in either of our personal catalogs anytime soon. I will never watch that piece of shit again. It's time for a recap. Coming in dead last for me is the first power. Uh, Next is the addiction, which uh, I gave the first power a dollar. I feel like that's being generous. The addiction is uh, is a three buck thing. It's probably not even worth that much, but it exists. (laughs) The the -hmm. Frighteners, I'm giving a six out of ten. That was a movie. I'm just more mixed on that. So I'd have put it in the middle. Coming in number two is Freaked, which was everything we said and probably a little bit more. Seven dollars uh, value there. And I Come in Peace, I gave it just 50 cents more. It was a real toss-up for me. It was a struggle this week for my number one and number two, and it feels like you had a similar experience, David, which brings my grand total for the week to $24.50. David, what's your recap? So I gave a dollar to the first power in my fifth place. Uh, the addiction in fourth place got four dollars. 
And then tied dollar amounts uh, for third, second, and first place. Freaked, I Come in Peace, and then the Frighteners in number one. So that is a total of $29. You'll notice before we started talking uh, that I had said it was 30-something. I ended up last minute reducing a couple of my dollar amounts. But uh, yeah, $29 total. David, what is your recommendation of the week? As much as I love the Frighteners, I'm going to say everyone should watch I Come in Peace. Um, I'm right there with you. Yeah, that movie fucking rules. And more people need to watch that movie. It's awesome. On our next episode, we rank Tom Hanks movies of the 1980s, which includes Splash. It was supposed to include bachelor party but we can't fucking find it anywhere and so we're gonna have to call an audible and i think what we're probably gonna do is uh we'll do punchline uh we're, we're gonna uh, we're do big we're, we're supposed to do the burbs you can't fucking find that anywhere uh so we're gonna have to call an audible there and we're gonna do turner and hooch so i think what we're gonna do is we're gonna do dragnet which is easily accessible and probably punchline. And I, you know, why am I being this way? Why am I recording it this way? Because as a nerd, this is why I have to tell you, this is why physical media matters. Because The Burbs has been on streaming rotation forever, but then you go to find it one day and it isn't fucking there. Want to skip the line? Sponsor an episode. For $10, you can select any film we haven't reviewed for a deep dive feature presentation review. And for $25, you get your choice of any five films for us to rank. Go to bingemovies.podbean.com today, hit the sponsor button, and control the binge. All right, folks. Uh, David, where can we find you, sir? What are you up to? What do you got going on here this fall uh, as this episode comes out? Yeah, well, I, as always, you can find Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at Piecing Pod. And this fall, uh, I believe October 1st will be the date. Uh, I have a new album coming out. It's a, uh, a film score for a lost film that never came out, but I scored like six years ago, seven years ago. And I've been given the go-ahead to release the score as an album. So it's called The Dissection Table. And it's a, uh, a horror film. And the score is one of my favorite things that I've done. So I'm really happy to be able to finally let people hear it. Great. David Rosen is a funny follow on Twitter. He's always coming at things from a slightly different angle. Go and support his podcast. Give him five stars. Hit the subscribe button. Do all that stuff. And if you just so happen to be a David Rosen stan like I am, and you followed his ass over here to Binge Movies, and you like what we do here, you like this episode, maybe explore some of our other episodes that we've done. We've, we've covered every possible conceivable type of movie. We're not just a bad movie podcast. We're not just a good movie podcast. We're just a movie podcast. And we're constantly trying to figure out what movies are most worthy of preservation for all time. And most importantly, what movies are most worthy of your time? So if you want a podcast that covers the whole spectrum of film, the entire horizon of cinema, 
This is the podcast for you. We have a lot of different voices who come on. David's been on, I think, three or four times now. Go ahead and check out his episode. Might I recommend to you, if you want more David Rosen and Binge Movies teaming up, the special feature presentation we did on a little movie that nobody but uh, mm. he and I know <laughs> called Voyage of the Rock Aliens. And uh, you can find that. I hope it's still streaming. If you can find it, watch it. And most importantly, if you've got a Spotify oh, yeah. account, uh, as much as I love physical media, go find the album soundtrack for Voids the Rock Aliens. You will never get those songs. Yeah, out of th your thanks head. to you. At the end of the year, when the Spotify year in review comes up, it's gonna be it's gonna be Voyage <laughs> of the Rock Aliens as my number one. Oh, god damn it! <laughs> Until next time, folks. Binge on. <laughs>